Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox, and I would like to welcome you to a special five-part episode on suspension and debarment. First, a word from our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, Inc. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides professional, independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across all industries. With its knowledge of effective compliance and ethics programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in over 700 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance program, visit our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. In this five-part series on the intricacies of suspension and disbarment, I'm joined by Rod Grandin. Rod is a managing director at Affiliated Monitors, and he's going to help us walk through what suspension and debarment is, but more importantly, why it needs to be studied, understood, and learned by the greater compliance community. We're going to take up five separate topics in this five-part series. Number one, what's the difference between criminal civil actions and suspension and debarment? Two, what's the actual difference between a suspension and a debarment? Three, what's the relationship to the FCPA and other matters to suspension and debarment. Four, what are factors considered as part of suspension and debarment present responsibility determination? And five, what are some of the remedies and responses under suspension and debarment? I know you'll find this fascinating series very useful for you as the compliance practitioner. This special five-part series on suspension and debarment is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Introduction to Suspension and Debarment. So, Rod, I think uh, many of uh, the listeners are going to be aware of, uh, uh, in the FCPA world, civil actions, certainly criminal actions. But I was wondering if you might be able to give us a few words about the difference between a civil criminal action and a suspension and debarment. Okay. Uh, Both civil and criminal actions, one of the major dividers is uh, those both can focus on uh, a scheme that results in a penalty being imposed on uh, a particular party. Um, the Department of Justice takes the lead in those actions. Um, and they are basically a, a contested, litigated matter, uh, evidence, uh, lots, of, lots of procedure in terms of rules of evidence, rules of procedure, um, you know, very tightly controlled. Suspension debarment on the other hand, is an administrative remedy. And yes, there are evidentiary considerations, there are procedures, both those evidentiary considerations and uh, procedures are fairly informal. In fact, the rules basically say they should be as informal as it as is practicable under the circumstances. Um, but the key dis- d- d- difference is that suspension and debarment is not anything that results in a penalty. In fact, the, the, the regulations make it very clear, suspension of armament cannot be used to penalize anyone. It is used only as a proactive, protective measure, uh, basically to protect the government's interests from 
contractors that either don't have the capability to perform or to provide the goods and services that they, they market or that lack the integrity uh, to be a suitable uh, business uh, uh, partner with the federal government. Um, I think in the last little major distinction is that suspension and debarment is within the hands of the given agency. Uh, the Department of Justice or the U.S. Attorney's offices have the lead in the civil criminal actions. When it comes to suspension and debarment, those actions are distributed across the various federal agencies. That is, each agency has its own suspending and debarring official or officials uh, that have uh, a, a lot of discretion that they can exercise in this process. Now, one of the challenges over the years, because both of these, at least from the, on the receiving side, civil criminal suspension debarment, they all have the effect of putting, uh, placing adverse consequences on the receiving party. Um, so from the, the receiving party's perspective, there's a desire to try to, or there should be a desire to try to manage all of the areas of risk when misconduct is identified within the organization. So we recently had uh, an announcement from the Department of Justice uh, that's called the anti-piling on policy. And basically in the civil side of things, uh, the Department of Justice said they're going to coordinate with other federal agencies. Uh, is uh, I guess the question I would have for you, Rod, is, is this type of co uh, cooperation actually been going on since the time you've been practicing in this area? Well, I have been working in the uh, suspension debarment area uh, on and off since the beginning of 2008. And over that time, I've seen at least <laughs> two or three memoranda issued by the Department of Justice, in those cases, the very most senior officials in the Department of Justice, that promote what are called uh, uh, the coordination of remedies. Uh, and the idea is that there should be this communication and cooperation between the various enforcement agencies uh, within the United States government. Um, notwithstanding these policy uh, documents, uh, my experience is that there's still a woeful lack of cooperation um, across the board. And that, that lack of cooperation really exists between the civil and criminal enforcers. Even within the Department of Justice, there's often there's often tension and a line that exists between the civil and criminal enforcement uh, communities. Uh, there's a line that often exists between the U.S. Attorney's offices and Maine Justice, so that one hand doesn't know what the other is doing. And then there's a com almost a complete lack of cooperation with the uh, uh, with the with the agencies, the federal agencies themselves, with the exception of the, uh, the investigative uh, activities. Uh, generally, my, my, my experience has been the Department of Justice and the U.S. Attorney's Office do rely on and do communicate and cooperate with the investigative activities within the agency. So within the Department of Defense, which is my background, um, it would have been with the, uh, well, within the Air Force, it would have been with the Office of Special Investigations, the Army, the Criminal Investigative Division. 
in the Navy, the Navy Criminal Investigative Service, and across DOD, the Defense Criminal Investigative Service, there's always been a willingness to work with those investigative arms and to use the resources and the information developed by those arms. But often that communication and cooperation doesn't extend anywhere else within the agency to include with the suspending and debarring official. So, no, I'd say that notwithstanding all this written policy, uh, that cooperation is still largely lacking. Serrano, I was wondering if you might be able to give us a, a couple of examples of how suspension and debarment is used. Okay. Um, so let, let me just step back. Uh, you know, I'm approaching my comments uh, based primarily on my, well, both as a private practitioner and, and the uh, a law firm in Washington, D.C., and as the Air Force's suspending and debarring official, where I was the individual within the Department of the Air Force with the authority to make these decisions. Um, so what are we looking at? We're generally looking at, as I said at the beginning, protecting the government's interests. So when information is identified within the agency that a given contractor is lacks the integrity, or we suspect that it lacks the integrity to be a, uh, a good business partner, or if it simply fails to perform, uh, that is another cause for, for the action, um, we begin to develop a record. That is, the agency begins to develop a record, again, using the coordinated resources, whether it's on the within the acquisition community, the investigators within the agency, and the, uh, the suspension and debarment community, which in most cases also has uh, the responsibility for the agency's fraud coordination or fraud remedies program. So the idea is to begin developing information to establish whether or not there is evidence that triggers a cause for the action. And if there is evidence, then the decision can be made by the suspending debarring official to initiate that action. And, uh, and, and that's, that's generally the, the, at least the information flow that leads to whether or not to initiate the action. In the case of a suspension, the focus is usually on a matter that is still being investigated. It, is, it involves uh, a temporary solution. And, and let me just explain that suspension and debarment, while being different, effectively impose the same conditions on the contractor that is the subject of the action. And that is, that contractor is excluded from competing for or receiving award of federal contracts, federal grants, and other federal financial assistance. It can be very devastating in many cases, and it's been commented on or referred to as a potential death sentence for companies that are dependent on federal dollars for their, for their revenues. Uh, so the decision is, is made as to whether or not there's a need to protect the government's interests, and that's, that's that's very much the focus of the action. So, Ron, unfortunately, uh, we're near the end of our time, but uh, I greatly appreciate you taking the time uh, to visit with us today on introducing suspension and debarment. And I look forward to uh, visiting with you again, where we take a little bit deeper dive into what suspension and debarment is. Thank you. 
Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed episode one in our five-part exploration of suspension and debarment with Rod Grandin, Managing Director at Affiliated Monitors. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you'll join us again for our next episode. This special five-part series on suspension and debarment is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.